Good. I'm glad you I are. Got some... Hello and welcome to episode <laughs> Shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. I'm keeping all that in. My name is Steve <laughs> and I'm here with Gobshite Ben. Hello, Ben. <laughs> Well, well, you are going to keep that in as well, aren't you? Well, hello. I'd like to, I'd like to have a similar riposte to come back to you, but yeah. I don't mind being a gobshite. Uh, yeah, you, you well never documented. have minded. <laughs> Episode 57, mate, is clearly documented. We are both gobshites. Unlike our guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you try that one again and see if you can keep it in. Okay. Our guest for this episode is John Colpitz, a.k.a. Kid Millions, drummer with Oneida, amongst many other things. Um, and this is the first part of two episodes uh, which feature members of Oneida. And Ben, this was a fascinating conversation with a very gifted and driven musician. It really was, Steve. I mean, initially we reached out to John because of a, a really fascinating and interesting article on the Quietus website about yeah. um, John's latest solo piece, um, Music from the Accident, which had a, has a very kind of dramatic backstory to it. Um, it's a brilliant piece of writing, so I'd recommend that people go onto the Quietus and check it out. Um, and it instantly kind of chimed with me, this is someone I really want to speak to. Um, and reached out to him and he came back straight away and said um said yes please i want to be you know part of that um and uh, and yeah so eventually we ended up in a conversation with uh with both we could and then also you know he helped us to set up the the further conversation with with bobby matador um and they you know they work so well together don't they they do, and the Bobby Matador episode will um, follow this one. Um, but I, I mean, I must admit that sometimes when we record these podcasts, we get to the end of a recording and we say goodbye to the guest, and then maybe we'll have a little five-minute chat afterwards about how we how we felt it's gone, and and you know, kind of share our, <clears throat> our usually or ninety-nine percent of the time share our excitement for the conversation that we've just had. But sometimes you sort of go away and think about it and think. I'm not sure how that's going to sound because you don't necessarily get an immediate um, kind of hit from the from the conversation. And I kind of got that with this with this um, recording with John because he was so measured and careful and thoughtful about his work and the way that he wanted to articulate it in the in the, the conversation. But then when I came back to edit it. Um, I was really taken aback by just the depth of the conversation, and it's a you kind of it's one of those ones that you sit with it, and then it just bits of it come back to you over time. It's like, oh my god, yeah, that mm. was a really fascinating insight into the way that this, this you know this uniquely talented man works. Yeah, but you're you're totally right because John, uh, you know, John isn't someone that pushes himself forward, and that's quite um that's quite strange when you consider the you know the the band that he's in and then you look at all the stuff that he's done musically he's an arch collaborator he's happily going out there and playing with spiritualized or doing his own solo records or you know reaching out or teaching teaching drums or writing pieces of you know piece of create pieces of creative writing about the musical process and that so 
I, I think we were both a little bit taken aback that John didn't push himself more to the forefront in the conversation. But maybe that's even more sort of deep appreciation for him. And like you say, when you come back to it and uh, and let it kind of land softly on your ears, there was so much to admire in the conversation and about his the way that the man carries himself. Yeah. I totally agree with that, and and uh, I was yeah really came away feeling really grateful to have had an opportunity to to, to speak with him and and for him to to, to give as much as he did because obviously there's there's questions about the his accident and the the um, creative um, out, output you know off the off off the back of that, but also you know talking about Oneida and the way that they work and this is a companion piece to the episode with Bobby. I think the two of them are you know really fantastic. Um, one of the standout moments for me in the conversation was his um, sort of recalling working and collaborating with Laurie Anderson um, and just paints such a brilliant picture of how that came together and then the, the way that they made music together. And, you know, for, uh, that's, that was, a, that was a, a fascinating insight. It really was. It was a, it was a great moment and clearly um, something that he highly values having had the opportunity to do something with someone that he really really admires and and when he talks about his admiration for for laurie it wasn't necessarily about the music but again it was a this is something that come up in both conversations with with bobby and with with kid it was about process and that so he he really likes delving into her books about you know trying to get underneath the bonnet of what it is to to be a creative person and clearly something that he does himself um you know uh, continuously eh? yeah 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 and that that um discussion around collaboration there's a, a, a in an upcoming episode um after the one with bobby matador um there's another really fascinating insight into collaboration collaborations from a completely different perspective which i'm looking forward to sharing <laughs> um but we'll you know we'll say no more yeah yeah uh, but that's a that's a really great uh coming from a completely different place yeah. Um, no, no. I was just going to say. I was thinking the, the, there were a couple of moments within the conversation with with um, with John that really kind of struck home with me. You know, one when he was talking about um, fighting your own stasis um, when you're trying to be a creative person, and he said about you want to know your limits and you want to find ways to create something despite your limits. And that's really kind of succinct and to the point for me, kind of kind of that landed nicely, I thought. Yeah, yeah, sage, sage advice for sure. Well, our thanks to uh, John for coming on the show and being such a great guest. And uh, thank you for listening. Um, and please don't forget to like and uh, tell your friends and help us spread the word about the podcast. Um, and we've got some great episodes coming up so keep your ear out for those and the first of these great episodes is episode 57 with john colpitz on songs from a padded envelope oh uh, yeah this is john colpitz or aka kid millions and you're gonna hear an early kind of demo of something that ended up on a man forever album um, the track it became is um, 
you were never here. Great. Well, listen, John, thanks for coming on the podcast. The, the inspiration for getting in contact with you was a, a rather brilliant article on The Quietest about your latest record, Music from the Accident. Can you kick us off by filling in the backstory on how and why this record came into being? Mm. Oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, okay, so um, I was, gosh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the year. 2018, I think I was in London. Uh, I was in LA recording, um, just recording like a for a day for like a Black Mountain album. And on the way to the airport, the next morning, it was like four in the morning. I got into a car accident. Uh, I was traveling in a lift and was rear-ended by a drunk driver and I was um yeah just hospitalized it was pretty serious but it could have been a lot worse if I hadn't been wearing a seatbelt I definitely would have been killed so uh it kind of took me out of commission for about six months and then when I started playing drums again I thought like well what am I going to do now? <laughs> and I kind of felt like, well, the only thing I could do is maybe work on a record that somehow addresses this. I, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't think of anything else to do. So that's how it, how it came about. When you started making that music or, or sort of playing around with ideas for the, for that record, how, um, did you have any sort of fixed ideas about where you wanted to go musically with it? Hmm. Um, I'm imagining, you know, well, I can't imagine myself in that same situation, but I'm kind of imagining that um, I'd want to attack that theme. You know, but did you, what, did you have any hmm. sort of emotional re response to how you wanted to approach the music? Well, I actually wanted it to be like a narrative because I, I'm a really big, you know, fan or take a lot of inspiration from Lori Anderson and her, her like shows are kind of like these multimedia narr narratives in a way that include, mm -hmm. yeah, music and film. And, and I thought, I, well, maybe it makes sense to do that. In fact, I may mention this in the article, but after about six months, I was invited down to a festival in Raleigh, North Carolina. And as part of the, like, they do all these day parties, you know, it's like, in a way, it's like a version of South by Southwest, but, you know, much, much less intense. But like, there's all these parties during the day. And I was invited to participate in one. And you know, well, we want we want you to do a drum solo, and I just don't. I'm not into that. I just don't mm. like doing drum solos. I don't think I'm. It's just not interesting to me. But I thought, well, you know, maybe I can talk about my accident. You know, actually, I was sitting in the bar. It's a basement bar. It was like I think it was like a really nice day outside, and I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? You know. 
I mean, I love the people who set up the show. So I was like, mm. okay, cool. But it just felt like insane. You know, it was like three in the three in the afternoon and there's like 20 drummers. And so I'm just like, you know, I could talk about my accident, you know, I could kind of do it like maybe like imagine what Laurie Anderson would do and just sit at the drums and talk about kind of the main beats, so to speak, of the narrative. And I just did it off the cuff and it seemed to work pretty well. And I mean, I, I think a lot of the people in the audience, people were curious, you know, about it. I found about the accident. So I, it was the kind of situation where I was like, I don't um, know what else I could possibly do. Now I'm, I'm wondering the moment that you launch into that and you and you start talking about You're, that. Well, it's been a few years now. For the first time. How does that feel? I mean, honestly, I was more worried about people maybe not caring and it, it would be boring. <laughs> you know, uh, I wasn't, it's not like me. And yes, there there was a part of me that was like, geez, there's, uh, this is the last thing I want to do, right? So I thought, well, that's something, that's intriguing. Like, why would I think that? Maybe I should just face it head on. So that's kind of how I, I approached it. What I felt at the time, mm, I don't know. You know, you're just hoping to, like, do something, like, concise and effective and, 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 you know, if I had a pause or if I, if I, if I came upon a little bit. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but. I'm going to skip back a little bit actually as well, because um, just before we came on the call, I was listening to your collaboration with Laurie Anderson from the, on the Man, Man Forever record. Oh yeah. The most recent one. Oh, yeah. And, uh, uh, and it's and it's really something it is really really something i'm it definitely should be one of the uh links we put in the show notes for this episode but given but i'm just intrigued because of you talking about her in the way that you did with the respect that you have for her work um how was the pro how was it working with her? and because I mean, that's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, that's a bit of a rubbish question, actually. And uh, what I was specifically thinking of was um, about uh, um, working with, uh, supporting the way that she works, because her vocals in that, the way that she uses her voice in that, that particular song is really striking. Mm -hmm. Well, I first met Lori, I think it was eight or nine years ago. A guy I knew is her manager, and she was looking for a drummer for a video she was making. It was actually, it became her film, The Heart of a Dog. So, but the stuff she shot with me never ended up in the film, which is good, fine, whatever. But I got to meet her, and then I just, I don't know, I, I thought... I try to do this all the time. I had this opportunity. So I said, Hey, would you ever want to play sometime? And I guess she thought it was, she, she was happy with, with the playing. She like had made these like, um, little kind of like loopy things that I was just playing against. 
she said, oh, maybe she said, you know, if you ever want to play sometime, let me know or something. I said, wow, okay. So I just, I, I, I called her or wrote to her and, and yeah, we got together and we actually had a band. We played a few shows. It was me, Lori, and a violinist, Tony Diodore, who used to play with Lou Reed. So it was a couple violins and Lori, oh yeah, including Lori, and, and she would sometimes do vocals on top. And, and so we played uh, three or four shows, maybe. Um, I wish we did more. What are you going to do? <laughs> you try. But then afterwards, so we had kind of stopped. And so I asked her, you know, I, I would say we're, we're friendly. Um, I don't want to assume too much, but I really, you know, I, I've had spent time with her. And so I thought, you know, I'd ask her to do the, be a part of this record. It was, it was actually something I had, I had actually done my own vocals on it and it was bad. And it wasn't the same lyrics. It was something else. And I tried and it failed. And I, the way I work is I just listen to the material that I have recorded kind of over and over again. Just, and I, and when I have, when an idea comes to me, I'll just, I'll just like try to do it. And I thought, wow, maybe this would be perfect for Lori. I, and I, so I, you know, I wrote to her and asked her and, you know, it, it takes a, a little bit to kind of make, have her buy in. You, you want to make sure that, I think she wanted to be like, make sure that like, well, one, she dug the tune <laughs> and that she thought I was, I had a good idea. And I thought like, I thought, I thought I had an idea that she would appreciate. So I, I told her, you know, the idea was like, we would only use like the 10 oldest words in the English language that are still in use. Or it might be 20. Anyway, there was 10 or 20 words. And, and, and I had just, so I, I had written them out, but I had created lyrics that only incorporated them. And she was like, you know, let's just do only those words. <laughs> so I was like, wow, cool. And so, yeah, so I went, I went to her apartment for the session. And she was like, cool, let's do it. And so she, we sat there together and she's writing the lyrics out. She's like, how's this sound? And I was just sitting there. I'd be like, yeah, pretty good. I mean, she like, <laughs> she like trashed my lyrics, but not, not in a mean way. Cause she's lovely. She just was like, Oh, maybe not. Let's try something like this. And then when she was finished with the lyrics, Oh, does this look good? I was like, yeah, it looks great. We just, walked directly into her studio which was set up to go and it was me it was just her and and then she had her violin too and their synth set up and i was like wow i i didn't think that was going to happen but I, that's great and she did two takes and we used the first one that's it there was no she just nailed it i mean she's like very she's a i think she would be it's funny. She actually hasn't, I think she, her improvising for her, there's like a very, 
she tells a story and she's told it a few times where she was asked to do a gig with John Zorn and I think Lou Reed. So it was a trio. And Lori was like, so what are we doing? And Zorn was like, we're just going to hit. Just going to go and play. She's like, oh, what? Like, what key? I don't know. And she, she was like really freaked out, but she said it was a blast. And so she's an amazing improviser. So she could just, I mean, it's not surprising that she nailed it. And that the first take was better. Like the second take was cool, but it was missing something. And so we just kept the first. And that was it. It was really just, I mean, and it was, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, I couldn't believe it was happening. They first sent me the, the files and her voice wasn't on it. I was like, oh, like, uh oh, <laughs> but you know, it all worked out and she was amazing. I, and I was so worried. I was like thinking like, geez, like, are, am I going to have to like get an okay from like none such to like, and she was like, nah, nah, nah this is it's all it's me i'm in charge i was like okay cool <laughs> yeah so yeah, it just went cool. amazing yeah yeah what a life-affirming moment what a thing what a thing to be involved in i know yeah it's stepping special. in stepping inside her her creative process has that had an, an impact and effect on your own creative way hmm. of working well not that moment but i mean not not that it wasn't amazing and i'm not putting it it, I'm not denigrating it. It was incredible. But I think more about like, I just would, I have her books. She has a number of different books. I'm just looking up and I, I think they're here. <laughs> but uh, they're, they just outline her projects over the years. And those are the things that kind of inspire me. But that moment was amazing. I think it just, it's complicated, you know, like you really feel like you're really, I feel like I'm really no, nothing special. Uh, and I think that's true. I'm not, I don't think it's false modesty, but I think, you know, you get a, you get a moment with Lori Anderson, who's working with you and you feel like, oh, you know, that's, that's very cool. Like we did something, I got to do this, you know, I got to play in a band with Lori Anderson. It didn't last forever. <laughs> but you know oh i can't remember if we i said what it was called we we're called the symptoms that was her she came up with that i was like wow that's cool <laughs> so and how has that name never been used by a band before I think, yeah <laughs> i know i think yeah it's funny i googled it at the time now this was a number of yeah. years ago i think it may have by now but it was like whoa that's cool yeah it's brilliant <laughs> it is but when you were saying that you well, you just said about um not feeling that you were anything special i think maybe your your catalog and your collaborations and stuff speak speak differently to that and also then you listen to your music mm -hmm. and i was talking to ben just before kind of been binging your work and i remember actually i remember seeing oneida play um a couple of times i came to see you oh. and the first one was at um the at the all tomorrow's parties event was it was an ama there was some amazing bands on, on at that event i think maybe uh, I, I bought some like blue vinyl, an Ida vinyl. Oh, like a one, the one-sided. Was. was it the one-sided? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, yes, yeah, like a blue and silver sleeve. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. It's very cool. Awesome. Um, 
Yeah, that, there's not a question there. <laughs> <laughs> cool, thanks for, thanks for how was that? Out. How was that festival no, for you? Yeah. No, it was, <laughs> there was a question about collaboration in there, mate, wasn't there? There was, yeah. 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 So talking about collaboration, and Ben, ben do you want to save me from my my ramblings and and finish my question for me? <laughs> well, I think what, I think where you, where you were going was that you know in in, in the biog that you sent over, John, you know you've got a list of extensive people that you've collaborated with. It reads a little bit like a kind of rock royalty from underground rock and alternative and uh, experimental music, and I guess it speaks a little bit a little bit to how important collaboration is to you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Mm. Well, I mean, it just like helps. Like, I think you 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 want to 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 know your limits. And find ways to, to to be able to create something despite your limits. So I find like showing up with somebody else is like a good way to produce work. And um, yeah, so I would say that's that's it really it. Maybe you know I think yeah if you have to show up to the to the to the studio or the or the practice space or something and it's not just you <laughs> right i mean i do plenty of that too right but but like having a having an appointment to to meet somebody else there really helps move things along and i just yeah it's just a way to 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 fight you know your own stasis your own like tendency to to not make work you know so that's kind of just how i do it i mean i think hmm i have my opinions like yeah there's definitely the pe people who don't collaborate much and and they're 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 fantastic but i don't they're, they're not as it's not as unusual i think it's just people don't give credit to their collaborators that's like more common <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but you know who knows but i guess that's how i that's just how i yeah make stuff what are the conversations like um that you have with people when they approach you to collaborate what what are those conversations like prior to going into the studio and getting your head around what's expected or what people are aiming for are there certain things that you like to hear from people oh uh i don't usually get asked really i mean less talking the better to be honest i actually it's a red flag when somebody goes and like starts to talk about what it's going to be then you're kind of just like okay well why do it because i don't really not that I find that really uninteresting those conversations they're not worth doing in fact I mean sometimes I've been the instigator and I've been like why did I do that <laughs> you know it's it, it's I, I think it 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 allows your the, the sensor right your internal sensor to kind of step in and derail stuff derail like 
things that could happen. In my, I don't, you know, I might be wrong, but that, that's really what you're fighting against, the voice inside telling you that you, you're no good and you shouldn't do this and you don't deserve to be making music or whatever. It sounds like it feeds a little bit into some of the email back and forth that we had setting this up, John, around um, you trying to trying to sort of source a demo for for the episode, <laughs> and 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 I guess what you were really saying was that demos isn't something that you do a whole heap; that you mm-hmm. prefer to work in the moment. I think is that right? Oh, you know, it's it's tr- it's true in a way. I mean, you know, maybe. <laughs> I just feel insecure about the demos. They don't, it's like, okay, so that demo I sent you, right? I created that demo because I was booked to work for a week with this uh, percussion trio called Teague, um, T-I-G-U-E. We had, they had, booked like um, uh, five days at this residency in in the States called Avalok Farms. And I was like the composer, right? And I was meant to come and like, we were supposed to make something. And so I made, yeah, like I recorded a bunch of demos to like kind of play them to like, they're just kind of little scraps ideas. And then we would build from there. So that was one of them, right? So I really what happened because they're so good like I would just play them like we would we would in the morning I would like play them a clip of something I had recorded and then we would just go like really for like a minute or two because they were just like yeah okay we get it and so then then we would play all day we would play for like eight hours which I think was new to them they were just like whoa what's this what's what are we doing but we 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 kind of just like kept that's kind of a way I like to work, and it was through Oneida that i I kind of discovered it. You just play all day, you just keep trusting that like you will find something interesting like the the worst is to just like be like, "Wow, we suck, let's stop. It's better to just keep playing it's not even not even worry that it's good because eventually something will happen you know and it'll be like whoa this is good it may not be you know if you you know listening back later but it might be right so that's kind of the demo for in that case was just a way for me to introduce the band to some material that we could just build on and i I have no like connection or, or 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 like i didn't feel like it was essential for this material to get expressed. You know, I don't care. You know, I make stuff mm. and it's like, it's it's gonna, it's probably like all bad initially, but like, but at least it's a way to kind of get the get the thing ball rolling. And then, then you can kind of build from there and hopefully find something good. Yeah. yeah. I was listening to the, um, to the, the latest Sonic Youth release there yes. in out in yes. um, yeah. Yeah. it's amazing mm-hmm. to listen. just you, you put it in my, my head when you were just talking about well let's just play yeah. and there will be moments and there are definitely moments 
where it really isn't working yeah <laughs> or it doesn't feel right and then and then there's sonic youth right those those sonic youth oh, moments. Yeah. oh my god that's so beautiful right. and the choices that people are making to, and because they're so used to playing with each other yes. they're pulling each other in particular directions and you can hear it mm-hmm. you can hear it bet- between them and i want and um and i wonder well you're, you're you're kind of acknowledging that for yourself is that an experience that you have with your music and i'm guessing with anida that's something that you, is very familiar to you oh yeah for sure definitely i mean you know it's not new right we're not like innovators you know you have miles davis you have can yeah can you know you have like people who own their own studio during you know sonic youth is a great example you know they they like wanted to set up a situation where they could just record and play anytime and i think it's just yeah you i mean that worked for us you know and it's still the most effective way to find material it's hard it's really hard to find material it's just hard it's do you do yeah. you record everything do you record everything with an idea then uh, the whole sessions oh yeah yeah and then what's what's the process from there how do you how do you get back in amongst mm. all that an eight hour session mm-hmm. well sometimes you don't <laughs> <laughs> you know, i mean it's yeah you know it takes a lot of listening for Oneida. I, I would say the person who's done a lot of that, committed a lot of listening, is is Bobby. He really has dug into some of those jams, you know, and and found the nuggets. Um, I guess with my own work, I had to do that but it's not quite the same like i guess i would with talking about the project with teague like we would play for eight hours and i recorded a lot but then we went to the studio we kind of had a sense of what we would what we would do we went to the studio like i think within a a day or two like we, we we played for five six days and then we the next day we were in the studio playing the stuff that we thought was cool And then at the end of that, then we edited that. Then I edited that stuff down. You know, I had to figure that stuff out. You know, um, you were talking about that that not not being innovators, and there are other bands that have, you know, historically, and artists that have worked in that way of just playing, 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 playing. Um, I I was very surprised to learn not too long ago from an episode of a podcast that um, that's how Duran Duran work. Oh wow, that's cool. (laughs) Of course, I believe it. Can you believe it? I mean, I that's... mean, you know, you hear their music, and yeah, you kind of, you could see that, you know, you could see that it's kind of rangy. Thinking about like "Hungry Like the Wolf," like what a weird song. It does sound like mm, a those jam, pop songs. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> they are such strange pop songs. Mm. You know, f- considering you know they they each had their own, you know. 747 to get wherever they were going. <laughs> they were huge oh, when they yeah, yeah. they all had they all had gold jetpacks and in the 80s and stuff <laughs> and but those songs are uh just yeah really odd i mean brilliant some of them are absolutely brilliant but really odd really odd choices and arrangements and stuff mm-hmm. come come out of that process yes. of yes jamming sure yeah 
Ben, you did a, a sharp intake of I breath did. there, mate. No, I was just thinking, I was thinking we've, we've moved a long way from the conversation around music from the accident, but just to track back a little bit to that, John, because there was a, there was a lot of collaboration involved that from following your kind of seed of an idea for you to bring that to fruition, wasn't there? Mm, yeah. I mean, I didn't trust that I could, I was worried about making a narrative album. I mean, I didn't end up making one, right? Uh, so uh, I didn't know how to make it work. And I was like, also there were like commercial concerns, although I shouldn't have cared, but I was like, well, no one's gonna listen to this more than once. <laughs> um, and then I was thinking about an album where I'm like telling a story I didn't really know how that would work. But so for the album, that's what I thought it would be. And I actually, I talked to, like it's had a long kind of fruition, right? Because there was the, the, the time I did the, the, the performance in, in Raleigh at the festival, whatever, the, I'm forgetting the name of the festival at the moment. But yeah, um, they would kill me they invite i was went for many years in a row fuck's his name anyway so i did it there and then i said well this was kind of effective interesting like maybe i could tour this or something it seems scary but it seemed like you know something i could try and then um i did do that well the thing that was weird was like my agent in europe was like well you can't like bring a band to europe we can't pay a band you can't afford it like you have to go you have to do this on your own you have to do a solo thing so i was like all right well this is a solo thing i could do so i did a couple tours with that and i you know it would i did it every night I didn't have a script, but I knew the beats, you know, I wanted to hit. And so I, but I was also like a little bit like concerned that I was like just winging it too much and I wasn't putting in the time. Sometimes, you know, the places that it was most effective was like non-native English speaking areas. So I wondered about that, like if that, if the, if like there was something there where, where you, 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 the humans, humans really fill in a lot when you're listening. And so I thought like, well, yeah, it, it goes over well in a place in like Italy where not everyone understands like every word, but they get the, they get the, they get the arc of things. Anyway, long story short, at the end of my second tour, I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm doing this justice. If I was to like, and I had booked what I did, I booked a, a, a performance at Roulette, which is a venue in Brooklyn that's kind of like an arts, a funded arts space. It's, it's a bit of, you know, you're, you get a gig there, you're, you got to kind of deliver. And I was like, well, I could go, I could, and I booked it, I had the date. It was the second, it was this two year anniversary of my accident. I wanted that. I was like, oh, that'd be, that'll be a nice hook. 
But I was like, if I just show up with a drum set and just fuck around like I have been, I'm really gonna feel terrible, like I failed myself. And so I hired a director, right? I was thinking, I was thinking in terms of like, say, you know, Spalding Gray, if you've ever heard of that playwright, or he's like a, he would do these monologues. He would sit at a desk and talk and he would have like, he would, his scripts would be just like little cues, you know, and he would talk, there's lots of stories. He would just tell stories. And there was that. And then I thought about Lori, right? Lori's, Lori's pieces. And I thought I wanted to try, I mean, these are like great artists. I wanted to try to do something like that. So I hired a director and I, I just, I mean, I didn't have the piece like when I booked the gig, but I hired the director and we worked on the script like day in, day out for like five weeks. And so I, I did the, the show with a bunch of band, like a number of musicians and 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 films that I'd shot and stuff like that, and it w- went great. And I was like, well, why shouldn't that be the album? And in fact, like you know, my wife is like, why isn't that the album? <laughs> you know, and like, I think she's right in a way. There was a little bit of just me just feeling insecure about making a narrative and out the album maybe i fucked up but anyway well I, I was just thinking john that 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 process of putting that show on sounds like it would involve quite a lot of conversation about what you were trying to achieve was that did that go against your kind of instincts that you were just you were talking about before no 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 i mean there's you know i you know i highly prize improvisation but you know, I also respect craft a great deal. And you couldn't, I, if I was just to go up there and wing, if I winged it, it would have been, yeah, as I said, it would be like letting, letting myself down, letting the whole thing down. But yeah, like, but so I think improvisation, instant composition, whatever you want to call it, it's just like, it's val. It's just as valid as like sitting out and writing something out, but it's just um, sometimes it feels like a little bit of a cop out, maybe. But it's you know it's what it's what I could do. But I wanted to challenge myself, so that's why I I, I tried to make it more more of a of a piece, you know, with 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 uh, clear hits and markings and whatever but that it sounds amazing (laughs) is it something that's going to see the light of day at any point do you think yeah maybe i mean all that work yeah well it was right before the pandemic is when it went up it was like february 28th 2020 right so it was like a week well italy was already fucked at that point but like so so yeah i do have it and I recorded it and a guy wanted to put it out and I, I thought it was, I was going to do it. I don't know why I hesitate about it. I feel like it was like a bit of a, like a, a first draft. So, so I haven't given up on it. And 
but yeah so when i eventually i'd already done a lot of of the music before right i met up with greg fox to do the music probably i don't know maybe a year after my accident maybe i had the idea you know i was going to do this narrative record but we did you know but we did a few sessions and i just didn't have much inspiration i felt terrible and i just let those recordings sit you know but that's really mostly what the record is that you heard it's kind of these things that i just felt like disappointed in <laughs> well i i you know listening to it over the last week or so i didn't get that sense at all and i'm you know the the feeling that that quietus article had about the sense of pride that you had in bringing this piece of work together i found it quite profound actually and kind of listening listening to the pieces the three pieces with that in mind i found it like a hugely affecting piece of music so i think i think you should have a great sense of pride in having brought it to fruition oh no you know i i don't want to be i don't you're, thank you that's very kind and i don't want to misrepresent myself i'm just trying to be real about the way i felt when i made when i first recorded that stuff i felt like i failed you know i was just like what is this you know i oneida has released a record without drums so i wasn't like it wasn't like um me feeling like like the first piece you know that doesn't have drums you know i was like I loved it, but I thought like, well, who's going to like this? You know, and then the second piece I made actually is much later than everything else. And I just loved it. I, it made, I just made, it just made me laugh. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the, 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 like the way the thinking about it programmatically, you know, I told this to Stevie chick, I was like, yeah like you can think about it that way and i'm not going to stop you and i in a way i even set it up right i set it up exactly like that but it's not like meant it, there's not necessarily that's not necessarily what it is you know um I think it, you can easily, I mean, this goes back to what I was saying about like an audience, like filling in gaps. Like it's really, you know, it's really not, I made some music, like I, I tried to make some music that would like support a narrative. That's what that was. I had actually met up with the sound designer at, um, there's a podcast on WNYC, radio called oh god it's like one of the most influential podcasts what is it uh sound oh shit um jed abenrod um the fuck is it called <laughs> hold on a second dudes uh because if i don't get this it's going to be ridiculous a oh, radio lab radio lab you know that podcast right yeah yeah right yeah right yeah love yeah okay. yeah yeah i met with a sound designer because it's like super like in a way it's almost like precious it's like a little bit absurd but they really go deep like they'll spend a year like 
mapping out the sound of an episode. And so I, I, I talked to him. I was like, this is what I want to do. And he's like, you got to have a, you got to have a sound that like connects with each like emotional scene. So I was like, cool. So that's what I did with Greg. I made up all these sounds to, to hit the different phases of the story. And then that's what I had. And then some of them I really loved, like the, the, the one that ended up being bread. And then some of them just weren't working. Like I have like 20 of them in a way. And then I just did this thing with, you know, with, with the one that's called recovery. I just like, was like, well, fuck, I better play some drums, man. Like I, it was like after a whole, <laughs> so a whole weekend of, of, of like recording and in a way fucking around with synths. And I was just like, God, and I feel, you know, I don't always feel super confident about my drumming, you know? So I just was like, Jesus, I got to just do something. So I played and honestly, I didn't feel particularly good about it but like there was just something about that performance that i just kept coming back to so anyway you're hearing the you know all the nitty-gritty but yeah those are some that's what we love <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm quite happy to nerd out with all you right, right. i might ask another nerd question as we're on this, as right. you've as you've brought it up okay. um i'm thinking about sitting down and playing drums and not feeling confident about your drums are there particular uh do you have particular um things in your arsenal of equipment that you just can't do without i've never been that kind of a drummer that wasn't even my drum set on that record it was oh yeah great, was so you don't care kit. well i care i care but you kind of have to transcend you can't like i mean okay the the way that i was able to like move beyond it was like getting really into tuning once i mm. once i really got a handle on tuning drums i never again was worried about my own stuff i didn't need it but like, no, I mean, I have much respect for all those kinds of drummers. Sometimes I'm like, well, why don't I have a bunch of bullshit around? <laughs> I just, I just don't, it's not my thing. I don't have a basement full of Tibetan gongs. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I should maybe. <laughs> I, well, you, now you've got a, now you've got a small child. You know, there'll oh, be well, some kids. Yeah, that's yeah, a bit, yeah, yeah, some... Yeah. Well, that's true. John, you're you're someone that puts a lot of stock in practice and putting the hours in as a into as a musician, yeah? Yeah, I do. Where do where does that spring from? Where's that come from? Wow. I don't know. You know, something really surprised me recently. We were doing a like a, a Zoom um, I guess baby shower or something. Um with the family, with my family, uh, my wife and my families. And my sister, my younger sister, Christina, like got on the call and was saying, you know, ever since I can remember, John has been practicing something. You know, when he was growing up, at first it was like shooting pucks. You know, I used to play hockey. So shooting pucks in the basement, practicing magic tricks, and then drums, you know, and I, I was like, whoa, I didn't even like that. I never even thought of that, honestly. Um, 
I wonder where it comes from. I mean, honestly, I'm not the, I go through phases, right? I don't want to pretend like I'm some paragon of practice. There's some people who are really, well, you're, you're never going to measure up to, to, to everybody, but uh, you know, yeah, it's super important. I'm not always on it. You know, I teach drums, right? I tell my students to try to practice 15 minutes a day. Like even that is like amazing, you know? Um, but I don't even do that, you know? So it's like, I mean, I do, like I go through periods, you know, years sometimes of practicing every day. But I think, um, yeah, lately, not so much. I mean, during the pandemic, it was just, I didn't do anything. I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but I mean, when we were really in the, the, the thick of it, I didn't do a thing. It was hard. I taught, but, but it was like just this weird frozen state of mind. But so, yeah, I mean, it would have been great if I practiced. Jeez, I, I think I would have got a lot out of it. Some of my students sure did. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. I read an interview with um, Robert Smith from The Cure. And I can't remember the name of the Cures drummer at the moment. So if you do know it, please say. But they, I mean, they famously play for like three hours. Their shows are huge. I saw them a couple of years ago oh, wow. in, in, in Scotland. And they were, I mean, they were still fucking incredible. Just mm -hmm. I astonishing. I could see them. I got to see them next time they come around, if they do. Yeah, they, well, they're playing, they're playing this year aren't they there's a whole world tour going on oh okay, uh, okay. yeah the u.s dates have been announced i think there's oh, a ma really? massive 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 tour with the new record and they are they are brilliant but the drummer who is and he's he's just fantastic he's, he's you know he's really nails their songs but rob and robert smith was talking about him because he's quite a lot younger than the rest of the band mm -hmm. and he says yeah yeah he'll he'll practice for you know, uh, he'll be practicing for half an hour or so before we go on. And then they do a three hour show. Mm -hmm. And he says, and it's not unusual for, for him to come off and like warm down for an hour. Still warm down for an hour. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I, you don't need I, to do that, mate. <laughs> well, when I played with Spiritualize, I would practice at least an hour a day, at least yeah. before the gig. And, and when I was on, when we had a day off, I'd practice for three hours. I'd find a studio in whatever town I was in. I don't know. It's How like did you end up playing with spiritualized. What 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 took you there? I was a friend of mine was tapped to kind of assemble a band for Jason, a US band. It was in the it was during the sweetheart sweet light era. And it was the second like, you know how they'll, they'll do like bands will do two cycles of touring. It was like the second cycle. And I don't know why this happened. Jason, you know, he's very, you know, he's, he's sometimes mysterious, his choices, but he wanted to have a new band. So a friend of mine was like, dude, let's, you know, I'm going to be the music director and you're, I want you to play. And so I just auditioned and it, you know, it went well. I mean, it's so funny. I look back on it and I was a, in my, I mean, yes, I, I think I played drums well, but like I, what I did during the, 
audition was insane. I like didn't really know the tunes. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, but yeah, and so I auditioned and I got the gig. That was really it. You know, great. What was the experience of playing those shows compared to previous experiences? It must have been great to do those. It was super fun. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a thing, right? I mean, it's I you know, you really have to respect the, 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 the singing, right? The pace of the singing really dictates and the breathing, right? Dictates the tempos, which is something I, you know, I really hadn't considered. <laughs> so you really can't like play the songs like fast, right? You have to play them at the right tempo. And Jason is a, a very, very, he has an amazing sense of time. Like I would, I would like set the click just for me, you know, just as a reference. And one time at, at a tune, we were doing a tune, I forget what, but I set the click. I had all, I got all the tunes like saved in my phone about like the, the tempos. I'm, and I'm watching the click. And then I look over the stage, right? And Jason's foot is like tapping on the click, but he couldn't hear it. He had no idea, but he's just like. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, Brilliant. and it was like, oh, damn. So he really felt like my fluctuations. I think it was like a bit frustrating for him. <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, I'm a particular drummer. I, I wish I, I was more, more like, flexible i think i think like i definitely contributed something to spiritualize but you know not everybody was into it you know um and he did fire us all eventually <laughs> that was always going to happen yeah, though, right it does that yeah. Forever, yeah. <laughs> yeah but it was great it was super great i learned so much and and um yeah i learned a lot and and it yeah, was brilliant yeah yeah. Have you read um, Will Carruthers' book from his time in Spaceman 3 and working oh, with... Oh, is he the drummer? No, he was the, the bass player. Okay. Um, we interviewed him. Playing bass with podcast. three left hands. Oh, okay. It's yeah, that's absolutely the one, yeah. fantastic. Oh, it's, it's stunning. Oh, the book a, is good? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. so fantastically written. It is oh. just a real piece of work. Oh, yeah. okay. I, I'm curious. That's exciting. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll order that after i get off the phone with you guys yeah, that's a it's, hard it's, recommend it's great definitely. it's it's got moments of poignancy and lots of belly laughs in it as well it's just oh. it's, but it's beautifully written isn't it yeah stunning yeah mm. and then if you enjoy it we had him on the podcast and he was hilarious oh very cool very cool <laughs> yeah, i'll bet hilarious. i'll bet they're all like insane <laughs> oh. oh yeah for sure for sure i mean yeah brilliant yeah speaking to us from his flat in berlin getting steadily more drunk as the interview went along oh man that more sounds more. wonderful sorry it was. i'm not drinking right now no no we're, we're kind of glad because he, he was a little scary wasn't he i'm on i'm on the uh i'm on the horlicks do you know what do you have horlicks, horlicks? i'm drinking it's like a hot ot like a malt, malt. it's it's like a hot ot multi drink it is a hot ot it is one <laughs> i love it I love that's why it. i'm a little snoozy <laughs> oh hey we love it we don't care i love it i think it would be um it would be wrong if we didn't 
go back to talk a bit about Anida a little bit and uh, and about your, your your kind of approach as a band that's often kind of encapsulated the essence of of a DIY approach. Mm-hmm. And I think you've even you've even kind of given lectures on DIY music as well yourself mm. john yeah. where where did the inspiration for diy and music spring from for you well i think it was just out of necessity because i guess i okay i i, I was i worked at the college radio station um you know, before Oneida started, where, where I went to co- college, right? I was at the radio station. We got a bunch of, we would get lots of records and I would keep track of bands and, and book some bands. I, we, we, I went to school in Vermont, which is a small state in north, northeastern US, the U.S., so it's not like a huge tour stop. But um, I would kind of, it just seemed like, a possible path right and so I just I don't know why but it was like well I want to play a show and I so I was like well I could set one up and then the tour a tour like I thought well okay I think I know I mean that's just like playing one-nighters you know I could reach out to people I could try to you know, connect with some bands who sent their CD to the station and it would just go from there. And then, yeah, my first band to tour, we, we put out our own seven inch. We were encouraged to, we tried to make it, we tried to get it put out by another label, but they said, you know, look, this is great. We love this, but you should put it out yourself. He said, really? Oh, okay. Like you can do that. Yeah. So then, yeah, I just grew from there. Like, and I think we're just inspired by, yeah, by that community that in the eighties. And then, then I remember guided by voices was, was coming up when I was in college and their records sound sounded terrible slash amazing. It's like, Oh, you know, well, we could do this, you know, it just, everything seemed doable. And I think, yeah, for many years, Oneida booked, I booked Oneida tours. I still book my own, you know, the, the Man Forever tours in the U.S. Um, I still do it, you know. Um, it's just, I think, yeah, we, and we bought our own studio gear and recorded a bunch of our early records. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's just the way to things, way to make things happen. Nobody, nobody really cares about what cared about what we did for many years. So, and I knew that, you know, I knew that would be the case because I actually, I booked a venue in New York called the knitting factory in the, in the uh, mid nineties. And, I would see like nobody would come to see bands that I thought were good. I would get a demo tape and I would say, wow, this is good. I'm going to book them a show and no one came. And and then I was like, oh, so it doesn't matter. Like the quality doesn't really matter. Wow. Okay. So it was like, well, no one's going to like pull us out of like pluck us out of um, obscurity. That only happens to one out of a thousand bands. 
so we're just gonna have to like hustle and do our thing and we just were prepared for it mentally we were like we're not i said to the band we're never gonna get no one will care about our band and unless we make five impeccable albums and then maybe in a sixth album like somebody might care you know not, not to say that we did or did not achieve that but like it was you know it was the sixth record that kind of you know we were signed to rough trade in europe and we got a little attention you know what i mean <laughs> but but it's true i mean no one's gonna no one's gonna no one's really gonna help you no one's gonna pluck you out especially if you don't have like raw talent or 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 uh, charisma which i'm not sure you know i don't so you know you need to just do it yourself <laughs> so yeah uh, yeah I'm, I'm all for it <laughs> i'm all for <laughs> it you avoid so much bullshit <laughs> yeah yeah true. as well as there is necessity but there's also um saving your own sanity as well <laughs> and uh yes yes oh good point excellent yeah for sure well um despite ben probably gonna he's gonna probably protest but i think probably <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll let you go john thank you so much thank you john for coming yeah, on to the podcast. Yeah, it's been yeah. really fantastic to 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 talk to you and to engage with your music ahead of coming uh, and speaking with you has been really glorious so thank you very oh. much for giving us your time and no, um, thank you. Wow. I mean, that's very, I, I'm, I'm honored. Thanks for, for asking. That's a pleasure. Yeah, could we, pleasure. Uh, could we just finish up please with you introducing the song that people are going to hear now? Oh my God. Yes. Okay. So this is, so, okay. I, when I got a grant by pitching, um, a series of moon dog inspired percussion and vocal tracks. And so this is like my demo of a moon dog esque thing. It's not, it's not good like moon dog, but um, this is what became um, you were never here. Uh, on the record play what they want play is that the name of my album it is all right all right all right cool <laughs> yeah. thanks john yeah, yeah thank thanks you. john thank you guys
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. (laughs) 